Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and MTL Ministries. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. start a new series today um, and this series is called Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus is spoken about in the Old Testament and I'm going to show you through uh, a series of sermons. This series of course is a sub-series of the Truth, Judgment and Eternity series. It's part of that whole Truth, Judgment and Eternity. Just as an introduction, In this series of sermons, I intend to bring forth a wealth of scripture which will prove that Jesus, who we believe is God, is revealed over and over again throughout the Old Testament and is in fact the true Messiah of the Jewish people. See, one of the problems that the Jews had with Jesus is they didn't recognize him. And still there's Jews today that don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah of their people, right? Now, I'm going to bring out just like, you know, a number of things that point to Jesus in the Old Testament that points to Jesus as clearly their Messiah. For this series, I'll be drawing from a book called Christ in All the Scriptures, which is this book right here. It's going to be a book that I'm going to be using just to sort of as a reference and a guide to, you know, Scriptures and, and various things that I'm going to be covering in the series. I believe that to search out the Old Testament scriptures by the light of Holy Spirit revelation, that we will all be blessed immensely as Jesus reveals himself on every page. As we, as we go through the Old Testament, you're going to find Jesus is spoken about on every page. In John 8:56, Jesus said, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Did you hear what he said there? You've got to really listen to those words. He says, Your father Abraham. Now, Abraham was born... I'm not exact with the timeline there, but I think it's, you know, 2,000 years or 1,500, I don't know, uh, prior to Christ. And Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my days. And then it said he saw it and was glad. And I, I just wonder about that. He saw it and was glad. Now, he could have either seen it through revelation or vision, right? But he also could have had a personal encounter with Jesus, while he lived on earth, Jesus could have came and maybe ate with him. But we're going to talk about that uh, when I get to that in this, as the series progresses. When Jesus said that, for him to say that Abraham rejoiced at his day, that's either a statement of a madman, someone who's a little bit, you know, uh, a little bit crazy, or else it is the statement of a man with tremendous authority and one who has been revealed for thousands of years before he was born onto earth. Jesus, I believe, according to scripture, was revealed for thousands of years before he even came to earth and revealed himself to be the Son of God. The Old Testament declares Christ over and over again. Now Luke 24, 44-45 says, He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, and then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. See, a lot of the Jews didn't understand the scriptures, so they couldn't see Jesus in the Old Testament. You know what I mean? But Jesus says, 
everything had to be fulfilled. So all these prophecies and stuff had to be fulfilled, which he was, uh, which were all about him. He declared the Old Testament spoke about me. Moses wrote of Christ, John five forty six to forty seven. He says, "If you believed Moses, this is Jesus, you would believe me, for he wrote about me." Moses wrote about Jesus. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Jesus said that Moses wrote about him. If if that proves to be so, then that is a great catalyst to search out the Old Testament for what it reveals about Christ. I don't know about you guys, but I'm really excited about this. I'm excited to go through the Old Testament and find out where it says stuff about Jesus. And I find that fascinating, you know. I really want to find out, you know, is Jesus truly the Messiah of the Jewish people, and if that's so, then maybe these sermons can help some Jews to come to know Jesus. You know, how important is it to know Jesus? How important? You know, if you guys understand these, this series that I'm going to be teaching over the next few months, you guys are going to be able to, no matter where in the Bible you go, you're going to see Jesus everywhere, and you're going to say, hey, this declares Jesus here, this declares him here, and it's in the most profound ways as well as I'm going to be showing you in the months to come. It's, it, it'll blow your mind how well God placed stories in the Bible that speak clearly of Jesus. Very, very clear. If we believe that Jesus is God, who believes Jesus is God? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we believe that Jesus is God and has been given all authority from the Father, then we also believe in the characters and stories of the Old Testament because Jesus quotes from the Old Testament. See, a lot of people will say the stories of the Old Testament are all symbolic. They don't really happen. They're not historical. You know, now if you believe that but you also believe in Jesus, then you really can't believe that because Jesus spoke of these Old Testament stories. And I'm going to just read you something about it. Jesus quotes from the Old Testament continually in all of his teachings and in relation to proving he is the Messiah. I'm just going to read something straight from this book. I didn't want to type it all out because it's already typed out. (laughs) Very few realise how abundant are our Lord's quotations from the Old Testament. He refers to 20 Old Testament characters. Did you know that? 20 Old Testament characters. Jesus in, in the Gospels quotes 20 of them. He quotes from 19 different books of the Old Testament. He refers to the creation of man, to the institution of marriage, to the history of Noah, of Abraham, of Lot, and to the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, as described in Genesis, to the appearing of God to Moses in the bush, to the manna, to the Ten Commandments, to the tribute money as mentioned in Exodus. He refers to the ceremonial laws for the purification of lepers and to the great moral law. Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself, both contained in Leviticus. To the brazen serpent, he referred to, and the law regarding vows in numbers. He have, we have already dwelled upon his threefold quotations from Deuteronomy, which was earlier. He refers to David's flight, to the high priest at Nob, to the glory of Solomon and the visit of the queen of Sheba, to Elijah's sojourn within the widow of Sarepta, to the healing of Naaman and to the killing of Zechariah from, and from various historical books. And as regard to the Psalms 
and prophetical writings, if possible, the divine authority of our Lord is yet more deeply stamped on them than on the rest of the Old Testament. And it goes on and on. I won't read it all now. What that's saying is Jesus drew a lot of his teaching from the Old Testament. Actually, what his, the teachings that he began to teach were derived out of Old Testament teachings. You know, there's another thing that, that points to Jesus as the Messiah of the Jews. He, he quoted Jewish, uh, the Jewish uh, Testament. Oh, and what about this? You know, when Jesus was on the cross, our Savior's testimony to the Scriptures has still more sacred importance. Um, on the night of his betrayal in the shade of Olivet, three times our Savior points to the fulfillment of Scriptures to do with himself. That's at Matthew 26, 31, 53 and 54, and Mark uh, 14, 48 to 49. Three of his seven utterances upon the cross were in the words of Scripture, and he died with one of them on his lips. As he was dying, the last thing on his lips was an utterance from the Old Testament. Wow. You know? So we have a Lord that, that is confirmed. He confirms himself, and that, in, in a sense is a, a confirmation that he is the Messiah. You know, because if he wasn't, he would be bringing out completely new teachings. He wouldn't refer to the Old Testament at all. Fulfilling the law. When reading the Gospels, we find that the Old Testament scriptures were con continually upon Jesus' lips. He even said in Matthew 5, 17, 18, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. What's he saying there? He's coming to fulfill the law. He's coming to, to do everything the law requires and complete it in, in, in the sense of his, his uh, sacrifice. The Old Testament spoke of God coming and doing the very things he did, right to the last moment. His whole life was written about before he lived it. It's amazing. It's amazing. And it's really worthwhile studying all this. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. For now, through Christ, we too can fulfill the law using his name and by walking in his spirit. So through him being the fulfillment. You know, if Christ didn't die for us, we, none of us would have eternal life. None of us would go to heaven. But because he died for us, we, and through what he did, we can now fulfill the law, walk in all that he's called us to. Amen. So Luke 24, 25, 27, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Because he's quoting the Old Testament. Did it not say that the Christ had to suffer? You know, Jewish people got to understand Jesus knows the Old Testament better than they do. You know, he had to suffer. It was written about him. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus was walking along the road to Emmaus, but he came across two of his disciples and he started to, and he, they didn't recognize him because God had hid, hidden him from in the sense of his, his personal physical appearance that he had when he was on earth before he died. This was after he, uh, after he had raised from the dead. And he started to tell them, it's me. The Old Testament declares that I am your Messiah. And he showed them beginning with Moses and all the prophets. 
And in a sense, we'll be doing the very similar study. The study that Jesus gave to his disciples on that day, we're going to do a very similar study, beginning with Moses and the prophets. We're going to be amazed to discover just how Christ has been revealed throughout the Old Testament over and over again. Because how many of you, when you read the whole Old Testament, you just don't see Jesus in it, do you? If you read honestly, honestly, when you read it, you don't see Jesus in it. You, you might read, and if you know this, the prophecies, you'll go, oh, that's, hang on, they're talking about Jesus right here. Yeah, the prophecies are a little bit more clear, but most of the time you won't see Jesus. This series of sermons will focus on four ways, and this is what we're going to get into, four ways in which Christ is revealed in the Old Testament. The first way he reveals himself is in prophecy, as we've just, as we've just talked about. The second way is in theophanies through Old Testament stories. Theophanies are appearances of God as a person on earth. And there was quite a few of them throughout the Old Testament. The third way is in Old Testament scripture, which clearly reveals the plurality of God. Right? Wording that reveals like Elohim. It reveals that he is God. Elohim is a plural noun for God, meaning the more than one. The fourth is in typologies throughout the Old Testament story. So now I'm just going to brief that. All this is is an introduction today, so it's going to be a fairly short sermon. Jesus in prophecy. Over 360 prophecies speak of Jesus' first coming, and 109 of them only Jesus personally could fulfill. So of the 360 prophecies, 109 uh, only the person of Jesus could fulfill. But he, in total, fulfilled every last one of them. And the chances of Jesus fulfilling them all is clearly points to him as being the Messiah. You know, it's, you know, uh, different scholars have done probabilities on Jesus. Uh, being the Messiah is some astronomical number. More, the number's larger than all the atoms in the universe <laughs> to one sort of thing. Just the chances, if for Jesus to have done every last thing, it's just clearly it's him. If you deny it after you've looked at 360 prophecies that all point to Jesus and then still say, no, he's not the Jewish Messiah, you've got rocks in your head. You can't deny him after that many. So we can actually go through, probably not all 360, but quite a few of them. We'll look through many of these so that we can clearly see that the Messiah of the Jews is clearly Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Why do you think this study is important? And why is that there very important, what I just read? Validates the Old Testament, validates the New Testament as well. Yeah, as being... As being from God. Yeah. uh, And if if Jesus wasn't who the Old Testament is talking about, then we'd question, well, is he from the Father? Is he from God? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, that's a very important thing. So we know that we're actually Mm. worshipping the right God. (laughs) You know what I mean? Nothing... Wrong, uh, worse than, you know, worshipping someone who's not really God. But I've got another reason why this is important. I think I know. I think I know. Yeah, go. Well, the Jesus can't come until uh-huh. he's being revealed himself to the Jews. Yes, yes. Jesus will not return until the Jews acknowledge that he is the Messiah. Right? Well, I just feel, felt the Holy Spirit just surge over me just then. Sermons like these could very well be sermons that have been prophesied for thousands of years to happen or had to happen for the fulfilment of prophecy. Do you know what I'm saying? 
So in the last days, a lot of amazing things are going to take place. Now, these sermons could be part of that. The amazing things that are going to take place. The Jewish people are going to watch this video and go, He is our Messiah. He is our King. He is our Lord. He is God. Our Bible tells us so. Our Old Testament scriptures clearly point to Jesus. So if this can happen, if this video can go and grab those those Jews and open their hearts so that they can understand their scriptures, we are fulfilling prophecy. That is exciting. That is exciting. We could very well usher in speed uh, usher in the coming of Christ, speed his coming, cause him to come sooner if we fulfill this mandate. So that's why I'm excited about this. Many Jews have become Masonic. Very good, Nick, too. Very perceptive of you. Yeah. Many Jews have become Masonic in that when they uh, did a close and careful study of the scriptures, of their Old Testament scriptures, and found Jesus Christ to be the very man he claimed to be, the King of the Jews. Many Jews have become Christian because they've done an honest study of the scriptures. They don't do what a lot of the Jews do. Read Isaiah, but when it gets to Isaiah 53, skip it. You know, don't read that. Why? Because it points to Jesus. <laughs> it's too clear, so we just skip it. So we don't want to indoctrinate those listening to us that Jesus is our God. You know what I mean? But no, Jews, it's time to read Isaiah 53. That's my word. That's my word to you. It's time to read Isaiah 53. It's time to open up the scriptures honestly. Come on, if you're going to be called the people of the book, open it and read it and know it intimately you know here's another thing we are their brothers we are their sisters you know what i'm saying they are our people we are one so i love jews i don't know many jews but i love them (laughs) but we and we have to have that attitude we cannot be anti-semitic in this we cannot hold this this you know ignorance against them We've got to understand that it's been foretold to have taken place. So the fulfillment is we see uh, prophecies telling us that they won't understand this stuff, but that they will soon. And so it's, uh, it's having empathy with where they're at and how to bring them into the truth. Amen? Amen. We're also going to study, uh, well, we're going to study Jesus in prophecy. We're going to study theophanies, and a theophany is a visible manifestation to humankind of God. A visible manifestation. You know, like uh, God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. Who was that? I believe it's Jesus. He's the one. God the Father sends his son to do these things. His son does the appearing. All right? Now, the Jew will say right now, hold on, that's ridiculous. There's only one God. Well, give me a chance, please, Jewish people. Give me a chance to reach you here. Because your scriptures clearly tell us that God is not a single, you know, God. He's a plural God. A Christophany is typically an appearance of Christ after his ascension. They started to call them Christophanies. In the Old Testament, uh, by right, we should call them a theophany, as in a God manifestation. But even though the really the two terms are interchangeable, a, Christophany, a theophany in the Old Testament really is a Christophany in my opinion, and I've got plenty of scriptures to back that up, so we'll talk about them as it comes along. Christophany in the sense of uh, being an appearance of Christ after his ascension, in that sense, Apostle Paul had a Christophany on the road to Damascus. He saw the risen Christ. 
when he, and he was blinded and, and so on after that. So throughout many of the Old Testament stories, we read of these strange encounters with certain characters of the Bible. And those characters, they come face to face with what seems to be God himself. You know, the encounter with Abraham, with the three strangers that come along and they were going down to Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, but when they got to Sodom and Gomorrah, how many strangers were there? How many were there? Two. Two. Where'd the other one go? The other one was for Abraham. Came to visit Abraham. And then after Abraham, he said, you two go down. So there was three, but it only became two. Uh, and there's other encounters. We'll go over that when we study Theophanies. These encounters are called Theophanies, and we will trace throughout through the Old Testament to uncover what appears to be Jesus Christ on the planet in person before he became a physical mm-hmm. being. So he had a spirit, and his spiritual being can, if he chooses, he can make himself visible. Just as angels... Uh, people claim to have seen angels and uh, in the Bible, many people in the Bible have seen angels. Their spirit, they can be in this room right now, we don't see them, but if they choose or God allows them to, they can make themselves visible. They're not physical, but we can see them. Do you know what I'm saying? Now, we're also going to study the plurality of God, the study of the plurality of God as revealed in Old Testament word studies clearly points to God not being a single, solitary God. He is not a solitary God. And and the wording used in many of the Old Testament uh, scriptures is that he's plural. Scriptures such as Genesis 1.26 said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Remember I, I did a sermon called Jesus is God, and I brought this up. And Johnny helped me to do a word study on, on these different words and uh, on Elohim and the im part makes it plural, makes it more than one. When God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, it speaks of God speaking of those of his kind, of his kind, in relation to making man in their image. That's not to say there's lots of them, because according to scripture, we find that there's only three who are, can be called God. Just say there was only three humans, it would be called, there would be only three people that could be called human. There's only three persons that can be called God. And they exist independently and independently of each other. They require each other. God would not exist without one of them. If the Holy Spirit was no more, God would be no more, which is impossible because God is undying you know you can't die you can't kill god you can't get rid of god he's here for good he's always been here we're the ones that are you know that die don't we 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 don't live forever and ever and ever amen we well we do only in christ though you will not live forever in yourself you must live through Christ. We will look at many verses in the Old Testament which, which reveals God to be a Trinitarian God, which means three, just as the New Testament reveals him to be. And we're going to find it in the Old Testament. Now we're also going to do typologies as well. Typologies of Christ are foreshadowings in the Old Testament of the person of Christ. It is the study and the interpretation of these types and symbols. So what it is is the foreshadowings. Is, For example, Joseph was a type of Christ. 
Uh, Jonah was a type of Christ, and that's coming up in the next thing here. Events, persons, or statements in the Old Testament are seen as types prefiguring or superseded by antitypes. Uh, that will be explained just in a second. Events or aspects of Christ or his revelation described in the New Testament. For example, Jonah may be seen as a type of Christ in that he appeared to have emerged from the whale's belly from death, which makes Jesus the antitype of Jonah. You have Joseph is a type of Christ. Jesus becomes an antitype of Joseph. Can you see what I mean? The anti means opposite, as John and I were discussing yesterday. The anti is the opposite. It doesn't always mean evil. The anti of Christ, because Christ is so good, is the antichrist who is dreadfully evil. But the type and anti-type is that he's he's like the other side of it. Joseph is the type of Christ. Christ is the antitype of Joseph. So in the fullest version of the theory of typology, the whole purpose of the Old Testament, get this, the whole purpose of the Old Testament is viewed by merely the provision, as in God's providing us in the Old Testament, as we study it, types of Christ. The whole Old Testament provides us with this. And the antitype or the fulfillment of uh, who is, or Christ is the antitype or the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So in Christ we see the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And what did Jesus say? I did not come here to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So he is the fulfillment of everything. So the Old Testament in total was written so that we could see and understand that Jesus is who he said he is. If we didn't have the Old Testament, none of us would be worshipping Jesus. Did you know that? Because we wouldn't have any bearing. You know, if we didn't have 360 prophecies that point to Jesus and says, that's the man, we wouldn't know he's the man. And Jesus wouldn't have anything to say. He wouldn't be able to say, well, you know, Moses said this because there would have been no Old Testament to declare Moses said this. Do you know what I mean? All right, so coming up, the next time we come together, I'm going to launch into many of the Old Testament prophecies which speak of the first coming of Christ. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting because we're going to go through the prophecies and you're going to, you know, if you're really like a lover of the Word of God, like I'm a lover of Scripture, when I read it, I get tingles up and down my spine. But if you don't love the Word of God, you'll go, hmm, boring, you know what I mean, just another Scripture, you know what I mean? But, man, we're going to see that Jesus was spoken about right from his birth, Bethlehem, born in Bethlehem, you know, uh, that he's going to be raised in, in Nazareth and, you know, and all of these things, he's going to flee Egypt and his whole direction of his life is going to be put, um, laid out for us in Old Testament, in, in prophecy. And it's a mind blow to think that those words about him were written so long before he came. You imagine if you found out there was one prophecy that spoke about you a thousand years ago. Just one. And it's, you know, Nick is going to, this man, and this prophecy explains everything about you and where you're going to be and live and the number of the street, you know what I mean? (laughs) No. But that would blow your mind, wouldn't it? But Jesus had 360 of them, you know? No other man has that. There was a man, Cyrus, in the Old Testament who... Uh, Daniel revealed that, I think it was Isaiah wrote about Cyrus quite a few hundred years before. And Cyrus was mind-blown that, what? You guys wrote about me hundreds of years ago because God wrote for the purpose of Cyrus getting favourable towards the Jews and allowing them to return from captivity. So 
the King Cyrus was, you know, mind blowed that he was in there. Who else was spoken of in history? Alexander the Great. There you go. Alexander the Great was another one that was spoken of in, in Bible. Um, and how many kingdoms were spoken about in the Bible? Quite a few. From a prophetical standpoint, there was Babylon, followed by Syria, Syria, Persia, not Persia. Persia after. Ah, Syria. And then there was Greece. The I don't. Uh, was the Ottoman? Yeah, the Ottoman Empire is spoken of as well. I heard Joe Shin will do something on that. Yeah, well, um, yeah, and Rome was spoken about, of course. That was a big one. Yeah. So amazing. Well, look, from a prophetical standpoint, the Bible is one-third. One-third of this is prophecy. No other holy book is one-third prophecy. And no other holy book has a running record of 100% accurate in its prophecy. If it has prophecies, a lot of it is, you know, nothing like the, to the detail that the Bible is. See, and when, this is the other thing. When you talk to atheists and you talk about this sort of stuff, they just tend to turn a blind eye and ignore it. They just think, oh, yeah, right. You know, but if they really did a serious study, if they were truly truth seekers, they would be absolutely blown away by the fact that a third of the Bible is prophecy and, and a good portion of it is fulfilled. A good portion is already fulfilled. Like the, uh, what's another one? A recent fulfillment, 1948. What is it? Return of the Jews to their homeland. And the, um, another one was the Ethiopian Jews in the 60s. The Ethiopian Jews in the 60s was another one that was fulfilled. Yeah. And we're seeing them, you know, more and more, especially now we're seeing more and more of these thousands of years old, these words from thousands of years ago coming to fulfillment in this time, in this age. It's exciting but scary because it's coming to fulfillment in the, and if the Bible says that these times that we're heading into will be worse than any other time in history. That's a scary thing that's going to be fulfilled. So how do we prepare? Christ. We put our hope in Christ. You know, you do some other things too. You prepare, you know, um, in different ways, and I won't go into that now. But the main thing is, is in life or death, we hope in Christ. So if they can take this body, but they can really do me no harm as long as I'm in Christ. Do you know what I mean? That was the famous words of Justin Martyr. Kill this body, but you really won't do me any harm. Yeah. We've got to pull on. You can't take your spirit. Satan can't touch your spirit. What Satan aims to do is get a confession out of your mouth. If he can get you to say, I don't believe in Jesus anymore, then he's won over you. He's got your soul. And then you know what he'll do? He'll kill you as soon as possible because he'll want you to go to hell. So the confession of faith must stay on your lips regardless of what takes place in your life. No matter how bad it gets, never lose your confession of faith. Amen. This study will also be a great way to survey the Old Testament and see the stories and prophecies in a very new and exciting way. As we look at the four ways Jesus is revealed in the Old Testament, you'll be amazed to see the variety of ways Jesus made himself known throughout the entire canon of Old Testament Scripture. And this will only reconfirm to you the power and authority of the most amazing text on earth, the Bible. The Bible is the most amazing book on earth. I have read it and read it and read it. I don't know how many times I've read the Bible. 
Certain parts of the Bible I've read hundreds of times. Other parts of the Bible I've read, you know, less. There's certain books of the Old Testament I've, I've read, you know, probably a dozen times at best. But as more, the more I read it, the more it blows my mind about of, in relation to it. Like the Bible is just awesome. And I, I want you guys to really go home and grab that thing and read it, get to know it. It's, it's like the manual to life. If you don't know it, it's like you're going through life not knowing how to use this thing properly. You know, it's like buying a computer and you only know how to do two or three things on the computer. You don't bother to find out how to use it properly. But the more you study how to use it, the better you use it, don't you? You know, if you ever do a course on how to do Word, you know, words, use Word software, you come away going, wow, I didn't know it could do that many things. Now all my assignments are going to be better. Everything's going to be better. You know, because you know to use it better. So that's what we really got. But it's more important that we know to use this than this computer, <laughs> you know, because you don't want to end up, you know, on the wrong side of the fence. All right. So also, I'm going to be starting another, or not starting another one. I'll be resurrecting the Apologetics 101 sermon series and going to be responding to many of the arguments which atheists and certain religious people use to discredit Christianity because there's a lot of arguments. I know in our Bible studies we talk about a lot of a lot of the arguments that get uh, put against uh, Christians uh, or Christianity and the faith of Christianity. Uh, also, I've mentioned it over time and Matthew's done sermons on it and um, we've and uh, John and we're all into apologetics, aren't we? Here to launch it off, I'll be responding to the website which boasts God as imaginary. Fifty simple proofs. And uh, I'm going to be just responding to those arguments. So if anyone wants to read that website, I think you'll, uh, you know, uh, it's a good one just to know, you know, what what they're saying and get it all word for word so you're not making up an argument that they use but it's not correct. I'm going to actually respond directly to their their points, even though one simple proof is like, you know, big long page. I'll, I'll brief it so I can, I'm not reading the whole time. Think about it from this standpoint. Hebrews 11.1, 1, this is the Amplified Bible. It says, now faith is the assurance. See, people, uh, atheists will tell you, you have blind faith. You believe, but you just believe by blind faith. You don't really have evidence for your faith. But Hebrews tells us what faith is. Faith is the assurance. It's the confirmation of the things we hope for. So it's not... Faith is, you know, um, the, this blind f- hope in the things we hope for. It's not. It's the assurance. It's knowing here. It's confirming. Things are confirmed all around us. And you know, today there are that many uh, brilliant scientists and scholars who are Christian, who know what the atheists believe because they used to be them, and they're now uh, revealed to us the truth of the matter, how they came to faith through science. Right? Now, Dawkins and that like to just discredit those guys, but they, their arguments in discrediting, discrediting them are unfair, unjust, and untrue. And I'm, I want to bring to light some of this stuff because some of the greatest minds on the planet are Christian, yet they get looked down upon by atheists simply because the atheists see it as foolish, even though they didn't come to faith through blind you know, unreasoning. They came to faith through reasoning. You know, I know Matthew personally came to faith through reasoning it. He was an atheist, 
but he came, he, he learnt about what uh, the truth of these matters and it, it convinced him. And the, the sign of the faith of Christ or Christianity and, and, and God as being real is stronger, more convincing to Matthew than the other side for there being no God. So it says it's the confirmation of the things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see. Proof. God has made it clear that all around us there's going to be evidence. Everything. You know, when I look at a tree, I look at a tree and go, what a wonder of creation. You know, and when you look at the intricate workings of it and how complex it is and, and how it's more complex, you know, just a simple tree is more complex than uh, the best thing that humans can devise and in, invent and create. And you look at that, I look at that and go, wow, more evidence that God is behind this. An atheist looks at it and goes, wow, isn't chance amazing that that tree just popped out of the ground for no reason, no, has no meaning, it just sort of happened now, I think that's the most unscientific way of looking at something, is to just say billions of years took care of that. Like scientists in every other area, they're very, very particular. Like they'll go into all these, they've got all these scientific names and there's, you know, they, they go into how one thing reacts with another and they're absolutely, they, they will tell you it's mind-blowing as you look at it. And then you say, well, how did it all happen? What, how did that start? All that complexity you've just described. Oh, chance. Okay, come on. You have to be intelligent just to look at it and understand it. Why didn't intelligence then design it too? Does that make sense? Anything you really look at is like If anything, absolutely anything. When I look at you, Bill, I see just sheer mastery of design. Sheer mastery of design. Complexity is so important. The beauty of our creator just flowing. Being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality. See, the conviction of their reality. You know, I, I hate to believe in a lie. I hate believing in lies. And I've always, you know, for 20 years now, I've been looking, else, not elsewhere, I've been looking to find out, do, is what I believe really the truth? And, you know, in doing that, you refine a lot of things, you change a lot of personal ways of acting and being and, and, you know, things improve, but also your way of thinking changes. Does that make sense? Don't blindly accept what I say. Don't blindly accept Christianity as the truth. Do your homework. Amen? Okay, so I'll just finish that one scripture of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not reveal, revealed to the senses. All right, so that's what faith is. It's the assurance of um, and the confirmation of things we hope for. So it means, yeah, the opposite of what atheists will tell you faith is. All right, let's pray. Thank you, God, for this sermon. I thank you that you've um, helped to do this in, help me to do this introduction. I pray that everyone didn't get too bored with what was presented, and I just pray that they will be touched and and really get excited about what is going to be taught in the coming weeks and. Uh, I pray that you help me to create really exciting sermons that are going to just um, really uh, get get everyone here just pumped up to study the Bible more, to get into it, to read the Old Testament and, and to find out even more things than what I uh, bring up and come to me with like, uh, you know, different stories or different things that they see uh, you in. So I just pray that you really take us now as a church to a new level and that this series will kick us into a, a new gear. 
And uh, I just pray your blessing over all of us this week. Uh, cover us with your precious blood, Lord. And protect us uh, when we drive on the roads uh, and in our workplace. And uh, keep us strong and healthy, free from sickness and any harm of any kind. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 You picked a good one, Rob. Oh, thanks. <laughs>